I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Greetings, Grapple fans. Welcome once again to the Pro Wrestling Index right here on the Anfield Index podcast channel, where tonight it is nostalgia time. I love a bit of nostalgia on this show, and we're rolling up to the Rumble, and you know how it is by now. When we get to the big shows, we like to do a bit of nostalgia. However, bump a little bit of a change to things uh, tonight, because as we promised last week, Although we will do a little bit of Royal Rumble nostalgia with it being the 25th anniversary of Raw coming up. We're going to focus our nostalgic attention on the past 25 years of Raw. So there's so much to cover there. So many great moments, so many classic matches, promos, episodes, everything. A whole pile of crap in there as well, by the way. But anyway, with so much content to look back on, so many memories to share, obviously I can't do that by myself. I must therefore call upon the services of my audio tag team partner, the one and only Mo Chatra. Good evening, Mo. How do? How do? How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I've been looking forward to this. I do love it when we do where we chat a bit of nostalgia because yeah you know i'm of a certain age so uh, i like to look back upon you know when it was good and all of that <laughs> oh it's always it's always better in our day all that kind of stuff yeah absolutely. <laughs> even though they've never had it so good these youngins <laughs> <laughs> well yeah absolutely um but no no i mean it's um there, there's plenty of good stuff today but there was also um some pretty decent and stuff back in the day and uh 25 years good grief um and i remember when that show launched in early 1993 and it was talked about as um a live live show on a weekly basis and uh that was something wwe to that point in time i believe had never ever done um so there was a lot of hype and talk around this new um pioneering show and uh 25 years on it's still with us bigger than ever so um well done to the longer WWE. than ever when you say big oh, yeah. you mean longer don't you like three and a quarter <laughs> hours 
Oh, certainly, yeah. I can't wait until it goes to four hours in the future. That that's. Um, yeah, I'm I can, sure that. I can imagine at the fiftieth anniversary when we're still doing this, um, we'll be talking about. Yep. Right. So recapping last week's six-hour raw, um, <laughs> half of which was on the WWE Network. Uh, oh Jesus. Um, no. <laughs> I dread to think where that will go. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh... Oh my word, yeah. That eight-hour shift, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I watched half, half of Raw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got for a twenty-four-hour Raw. Imagine the uh, advertising revenue we could get. Oh my word! Don't let's not encourage him. Let's not encourage no, him. No, yeah. <laughs> right. So let's kick off the nostalgia. Then we mentioned, you know, it, obviously, yes, the theme being is twenty-five years of Raw. So that takes us back to nineteen ninety-three. Now, like you say, normally we do the Rumble at this time and the nostalgia around the the, uh, the Royal Rumble. So we'll pick up the Rumble then because, you know, we we, we had our nostalgia last year with the Rumble. And I think by consensus, it's still pretty much agreed that the best ever Royal Rumble match itself is still probably 1992 when Rick, uh, Ric Flair was in there from beginning to end. Uh, absolutely tremendous uh, match. Great commentary with Bobby Heenan on, you know, just kind of really put the icing and the cherry on top of that cake. So moving it on a year to 1993 then, this is not one of them Royal Rumbles that's instantly sort of remembered when, when you when you pick out the classics, is it, more? Uh No, you can say that again. Um, <laughs> talk about a come down. I mean, 92 was as good as you get. Star-studded, full of memorable moments, incredible finish, amazing performance by Ric Flair. Um, as you said earlier, um, very memorable um, commentary by Bobby the Brain Heenan. Um, almost the perfect Royal Rumble. And then to follow that up with the 93 one, where far less star-studded, um, felt very flat. Um, crowd in the Arco Arena in Sacramento wasn't immensely hype for for the uh, event itself um just a real let down very disappointing um and uh a very very different type of winner um for that rumble compared to the previous year um so yeah that that was certainly not um something that we um look back on fondly no i mean i i sat through it to, at the weekend i sat through and watched it again thinking i don't really remember this one and then kind of was watching it and thinking i got about halfway through and i was thinking you know what this is why i don't remember this one because it's <laughs> not memorable and there's just so many there's so much filler in the card you know on the 30 men there's there's probably sort of i don't know halfway through there's just random tag team members here there at chock a block full and it was, um, it, it was, it was, it was one of the worst rumbles that I've ever seen, and was basically just set up for Yokozuna to come in near the end and predictably win it. Because let's face it, who the hell was going to put Yokozuna over the top rope? It just physically wasn't possible. No, absolutely. Um, you know, they uh, obviously debuted him in 1992, um, and uh, had big, big plans for him and uh, wanted to push him to the moon as the big um, new monster and uh, that was fairly successful um, as part of this Royal Rumble match 
in terms of getting him over as a, a, a top star and uh, you know somebody who's actually relatively inexperienced. I don't think he'd been long in, in the business at that point. Um, and I think it was, uh, in terms of age, was only in his uh, mid-20s at that point. So um, mm. quite a young guy and uh, obviously was being pushed towards the uh, WWE title at that point in time and um, wanted to uh, do big things with him at WrestleMania 9 out in Las Vegas, which was the famous outdoor WrestleMania. And uh, yeah, obviously it wasn't to get him there. Either. No, no, it wasn't. <laughs> and uh, obviously to get him there, they had to put him over at the Rumble. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it really wasn't um, very memorable um contest in itself but um we had uh a certain very very tall person turn up though didn't we in uh oh, joint gonzalez yeah that's right yeah yeah um <laughs> who or what the hell is this it's it's a massive guy it's a it's a what is it, about a seven foot five basketball player in um in a naked skin suit what it looks like yeah that was pretty dreadful uh, not quite as bad as he was in the ring, though, it's got to be said. But, yeah, that, that again, that was all basically to set up him versus uh, Undertaker at, at WrestleMania. So it, 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 in itself, it, was, it wasn't a very good Royal Rumble match, and it wasn't a particularly memorable Royal Rumble event either. There wasn't a lot on there. The, the one uh, bright, bright spot on the card, I'd say, was the, the, uh, the WWF title match at the time. Bret Hart versus Razor Ramon. Obviously, Razor was uh, quite a hot character at the time. Bret Hart in his pomp, in his prime. And you you go back and you watch Bret Hart there. And and compared to some of the guys now, and it's like, look at the way that Bret Hart puts in, you know, he, the way he overemphasizes and puts in every single punch and every single kick. It's like, you know, he, he really lays them in. And it's, there you go, guys. <laughs> there's a clinic for you go back and watch it not probably not remembered as a great match or anything like that but an example of a good match uh, and and just how to do some of the basics oh yeah totally i mean he was labeled as the excellence of execution and um never was there a more apt um monica for a wrestler um the way he executed his moves was virtually flawless. Um, and, you know, this was another um, of many, many examples of um, Brett um, working a really solid, solid match. Um, certainly by the standards of some of his absolute classics, um, not up there with, with those, but uh, perfectly reasonable um, outing and um, fine title defence as well. And um, you know, this was a match that I enjoyed. Probably was the match of the night. That's not really saying too much. To say it was, <laughs> it's not. Uh, it's really not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it was a flat show. I mean, I mean, for for those that are not aware, the WWE at that time was actually going through really, really hard times because um, the steroid scandal um, had broken in 1992, and at the same time. Um, there were also um, sexual abuse scandals that had broken the same year. Um, so there was all kinds of shit going on in the WWF. Um, and, you know, we had talent leaving and we had issues with people, you know, who were running things 
behind the scenes. There were issues with uh, referees, ring announcers and all sorts. So um, morale within the company was a pretty low point at that point in time. And um, on top of that, um, because of the steroid scandal, um, a lot of talent um, were not allowed to use um, steroids. Whereas up until uh, 1992, about 90% of the roster was on steroids. So that's why you started to see certain individuals' physiques become a lot smaller, less well-defined. People uh, wearing uh, jer- uh, wearing vests and T-shirts who always wrestled uh, without a shirt on, strangely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny <laughs> how that happened. Um, so, you know, it, it was kind of... Um, very uh, emblematic of the times generally for the WWE that um, it was a rough time and um, the show itself was um, far from great um, so it was no surprise that the show was as flat as it was because as I say times were tough and they'd had big names leave and uh, it was it was it was pretty uh, hard going for Vince and co um, but they rode through that and other storms and um, are obviously still around today. Absolutely. So I mean, we'll, we'll leave that one where it is then. So, you know, in terms of nostalgia, 1993, not great in terms of rumble history, but obviously, you know, a, a huge year for, for WWE and that, the, like you said, you know, the start of this weekly show raw. Um, it, it wasn't, I've got to say, it didn't, you know, really grab me initially. More, what have you watched? You know, are you one of those who's, who's watched Raw week in, week out, all the way through, or have you kind of dipped in and dipped out as as time's gone along? Um, I didn't actually start watching Raw uh, when it first launched. Um, I was obviously aware of it. I was a fan of wrestling at that point and had been for many years prior to that. Um, but I didn't have, I wasn't fortunate, fortunate enough to have Sky in my home till um, a couple of years later in 1995. Um, so the only exposure to Raw that I had was the occasional times when friends of mine um, in school would record um, the show on tape um, from memory. But in fact, it's insane that I can't even remember if it was actually broadcast on Sky. Um, it might have been that highlights of that show were packaged into another one-hour show and broadcast on something like WWF Mania or something like that. So, um, from from what I can recall, it, and this is just going on memory, I believe that was still around the time where they would show it on Sky, but there was kind of like a delay. You know, you were always getting things a couple of weeks later. Right. Uh, you know, that that like you weren't up to date. It, it took, took a few years before suddenly everything was up to date and started to feel that bit fresher. Um, but I, yeah. I mean, personally, I, I felt like raw didn't really get going until the mid nineties. Anyway, I think it took a few, two or three years to really sort of get going and, and everything kind of picked up. Um, so what about in terms of matches? Is, is there over the years, any particular matches that really stand out for you? I mean, and, going back a few years for one that for me that I'd almost forgotten about. And that was the undertaker against Jeff Hardy, which was, I guess a kind of like a bit of a turning point for, for Jeff Hardy in a way that, 
you you know nobody kind of really saw him as anything more than that sort of spectacular tag team guy uh, and that was you know that the undertaker really kind of putting jeff hardy over that that was one that kind of stuck out for me more oh yeah that was um certainly one of the best raw matches to feature the undertaker um and obviously he had been around um since raw started in 93 but um Despite that, he didn't actually have all that many really great memorable matches on the show, um, but that was arguably the best one that he ever had on the show. Um, really, really entertaining. Did a very good job of putting Jeff Hardy over, um, and uh, you know that that was um, you know Jeff. At, I would say his peak as well because um, you know Jeff was um, really kind of starting to catch on. Um, he's a singles talent as well, and uh, you know that that was certainly um, something that was quite helpful for him in terms of his career tra- trajectory. So that was certainly one of the better ones. Um, I was actually um, looking back at um, some of the great matches in Raw history, and uh, one that uh, um, certainly um, comes to mind is actually one that's been forgotten over time. And this is a match going back to July, 1993. And it's a match between Shawn Michaels and uh, Marty Jannetty. And uh, obviously the Rockers, Shawn and Marty split up in, um, I think it was, when was it? Early 92. I was going to say that, that that'd be back in, yeah, it'd have to be early 92. Because I mean, that was something like, that was the days of wrestling challenge, wasn't it? That's right, yeah, and obviously yeah. there was that very famous angle in the, the barber, barber shop, shop where um, right Marty was super kicked. Window. That's it, and um, that was some eighteen months prior to this match taking place. So um, Sean had obviously um, done other things after the initial feud um, between those two, and um, obviously had had a run at the uh, WWF title with Brett. Um, and obviously wasn't able to uh, claim that title at the first time of asking, but um, nonetheless they came together for a match um, in July '93 and um, had one of the all-time great um, WWF stroke WWE television matches. It was a really, really exceptional match. To that point in time, it was probably the best television, not not pay-per-view, but television WWF match ever. Um, and even 20, nearly 25 years on, there've perhaps only been three or four matches that have been at that level. Um, so that, that was a match I'd actually forgotten about, but, um, uh, when I, when I watched it back this week, um, it was something I actually remembered seeing, um, around that time. So it must've been one that, um, a friend of mine must've recorded for me and, um, lent me the tape and said, you've got to check this out. And um, yeah, the, the memories came back of, of that one. And um, it was just um, showing just how great a worker Shawn Michaels was because, and, and in fairness, Marty Jannetty was not too bad himself, but Shawn was um, just an amazing uh, talent. He was really um, on, on his day, the, arguably the best the business has ever seen. Um, just could do things in the ring that um, very few talents 
in the history of the business have ever been able to do. So um, if you haven't seen that match, if you've forgotten about it, um, you know, that's certainly one to uh, check out. Yeah, I, t- I tell you, the thing with Raw now is one of the big things of Raw is is this, you know, the night after WrestleMania. It's really become a thing, hasn't it, over the last, I don't know, maybe sort of half dozen years where, where WrestleMania has become this enormous event, almost an outside of wrestling. You know, it's almost become bigger than wrestling itself. It's just like this event, like an annual event, and people travel from all over the world. And you get so many European fans and British fans that are there for WrestleMania, and they stay, and they're there to enjoy the Raw the night after. And you seem to just get this incredible atmosphere. And and there's one thing that kind of that I almost associate that with, and that will be uh, Dolph Ziggler cashing in on uh, Alberto Del Rio. And obviously it was an, it was, you know, sort of 30 seconds or so, whatever it was or a minute of a match, but that, you know, they're the kind of moments I, I think, you know, some of these special moments that Raw's had and it's the night after WrestleMania. These are just, they're quite special, aren't they really? Oh yeah, totally. Um, you know, sometimes what I like to do is um, just go onto YouTube occasionally, and um, you, you get these compilation videos of um, these moments that got these staggering reactions, these really massive crowd pops, um, and you know this match is, and this whole segment is actually something that features on a lot of these types of. Uh, compilation videos uh, because the reaction um, to Ziggler coming out um, was just incredible. The the noise was just amazing. And uh, not only when he came out, but when he um, lifted the title after he pinned um, Alberto Del Rio, that was just magical. Um, I mean, the adrenaline that must have been pumping through must have been, um, you know, indescribable. It just must have yeah. been incredible to um, that, well, that's be it. at that, the focal point of that. Yeah, that that was pure emotion. That that's the thing, you know. It's obviously it's it, they're putting on a show and there's pretense and everything in there and there's characters, but there are there are times when you know that the that the person behind the character, the real person, comes out and and that you know was one of their moments where you could see you could see it really come out. And you think that that was, you know, that's a pretty damn special moment for that person, you know, for that guy. Forget the, you know, the, the wrestling character, for the person there. That that really was a pretty damn special moment. Oh, yeah, totally. And, you know, obviously um, he had um, AJ Lee and um, Big E with him as well. And, um, you know, it was a, a very real moment. Um, you know, there was no... Uh, acting involved there that was just a very special moment for Ziggler enjoying it with um, those two as well and uh, you know it was at the time when you know Ziggler was actually um, fairly popular with the WWE fan base and obviously since then um, persistently into obscurity (laughs) yeah yeah that's it (laughs) hasn't done him any favors and he's he's really um, Fallen in stock. Um, well, I, I say that, but I mean his reaction on the last um, SmackDown pay-per-view wasn't too bad when he uh, surprisingly won the Intercontinental belt. But yeah. um, 
nonetheless, that was um, a very special moment. And, um, you know, another very, very special reaction was, I think, about 12 months prior to that um, at the uh, post-WrestleMania Raw when Brock Lesnar, after several years away, finally returned to the WWE and uh, confronted John Cena. And the reaction that he got was... Yeah, every that bit was, is loud. That yeah. was unbelievable. Yeah, 2012 that was, yeah. That that was a hell of a reaction he got there. I mean, it's incredible to think now, isn't it, that we, we're talking almost six years ago, you know, that he, <laughs> that Brock Lesnar returned. Six years. It, uh, that that was a hell of a reaction. There's been quite a few of them over the years as well, hasn't there? You know, you think back, there was the Page one. Um, what was that, 2014, I think? Page debuting, um, winning the Divas yeah. title from AJ Lee on her first night, the reaction that she got when she came out. I mean, and it's almost become a thing as well, isn't it? Stars debuting or people getting called up from NXT debuting has become kind of like the, the new thing, hasn't it? And these, you know, the underground fans being able to give that reaction, you know, the, on the Raw that, that immediately follows yeah. Uh, WrestleMania. Yeah, that's it. I mean, the most hardcore elements of the WWE fan base converge from around the world and uh, they all try to make sure that they're there in attendance at the Raw the next night and um, most of them still stick around for the SmackDown 24 hours later and um, you know they just have a ball they have a complete riot and uh, they take over the show Um, they react how they want rather than how the company wants them to and um, clearly that does yeah, well, that's the one night of the year where if he was still on Raw, that he'd still be over. Um, but uh, yeah, that that was a fantastic reaction for him back in, I think it was the 2012 show, or 20, sorry, the 2013, um, where um, you know they were singing that entrance theme throughout the night, and yeah. uh, you know um, he got a lot of <laughs> publicity off of that, and. Uh, made a bit of a career out of himself and he's obviously still there. Um, so, Fair so play was, to him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but no, so, some of those reactions and I mean, he, I mean, these are reactions um, that are ones that will look, leave long in the memory, but um, you know, there were some during the attitude era where the crowds were generally hotter um, because the audience used to be of a certain demographic and would turn up, tanked up. Um, it was largely a college crowd and young male audience, 80 90%. And um, they were served a product that kind of um, was aimed at that type of crowd. And, uh, you know, they really lapped it up. And, uh, you know, you think back to some of the hot angles featuring um, Stone Cold and The Rock, um, especially where you'd have a beat down and somebody like Stone Cold's music could hit and he'd, Storm to the ring or um, he was working an angle with Vince and the reactions would just be off the charts. It'd just be yeah. unbelievable noise. Um, and even I mean, some of the matches as well. Um, yeah. Mankind winning, winning the title. Yeah. You know, we talk yeah. about classic matches. I mean, it, again, it's one where it's not the match that you actually remember. It's that moment of, Mankind wins the title and obviously kind of wrapped up in that as well is the whole WCW at the time. This was when Raw was still being 
taped, you know, the, was it like earlier that day and then being, you know, uh, being broadcast that evening and they were giving away the results uh, and it was the whole, you know, or Mick Foley who uh, used to go under the name, uh, whatever, I can't even think of it, what it is now. Uh, you know, he, he's winning the title. Uh, oh, that's going to put uh, butts on seats. And it's everybody switched over to see that moment. And and it was it was a genuine thing. And you got Stone Cold involved in that, or, or obviously Mankind Beats the Rock. You've got whole DX involved in that, the corporation. You've got, yeah, Steve Austin comes down. It's It's a... It's a humongous thing of that time. It was huge. It really was. It was huge. And, and like you said, reactions, they were, that that wasn't just the night after the WrestleMania reaction. You know, we were getting this on a weekly basis and that, that was something else, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, 98, 99, 2000 into 2001. Um, the reactions um, for those most over characters were, deafening um and i mean you, you can go back i mean if you for those that have got access to the wwe network um you know all, all of those roars are on there and you can pick out any random raw and um, just watch the opening couple of minutes um look at the amount of signs that were held up like it was just a sea of signs yeah. everyone had a sign um and uh, that showed just how into the product um the fans were at that time and um you know um it, it's not quite the same these days i mean you do still see um with, with certain audiences um you know, a very lively crowd and obviously i've mentioned the uh smackdown um pay-per-view um that took place uh, a few weeks ago and uh that was in boston and the crowd was very amped in in, in that town and uh chicago is always a, a great crowd and um, as you said, you know, when the uh, WWE runs these um, back-to-back um, tapings after big pay-per-views such as around SummerSlam or WrestleMania, um, they tend to attract the hardcore fans that also like to make a noise as well. But yeah, there, there were those days when um, this was a weekly occurrence in terms of mad, mad crowd reactions. Um, so... Uh, you know, if if you're a newer fan um, who um, likes to binge watch on Netflix, well, you know, <laughs> yeah. you could do, do worse than actually binge watching Raw from the Attitude Era because uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, just, just episodic stuff. Yeah, go back and experience that. I mean, the, they had a vote on the WWE Network, and I, I'm not convinced. Um, hundred percent whether some of that is legit looking at some of the things that were in the top 25 uh, and yeah well, well less said about the that the better but uh what got voted in at number one was the you know the austin beer bath now and that's back in probably i think it was about 99 and the reaction then the crowd went absolutely nuts and this is you know like you're talking 18 months into the, where Austin had really started, or maybe actually a couple of years into the point where uh, a couple of years on from Austin uh, and Bret Hart at WrestleMania 13. So the, Austin had already got hot, and it was just it was white hot week after week after week. The 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 announcers, everything, it was just 
the atmosphere was incredible uh, and you got you seem to get these memorable moments perhaps not every week but you know every two or three weeks you seem to get moments that you now look back on and think god i remember that i remember that oh i remember that i remember that probably yeah. more so than today is that fair oh yeah yeah absolutely um i mean we've got to be um we've got to balance it as well by pointing out that there was also tons of absolute crap on uh, raw um on, on those shows as well in that act 2d era yeah mostly the um, wrestling yeah that's it <laughs> i mean the, the, the matches generally were fairly short i mean you i mean some and believe it or not listeners um there were back then raw was two hours but some of those raws the total match time i kid you not was less than 15 minutes for all of the matches on raw yeah and that's 15 minutes of wrestling on a two-hour episode yeah. of wrestling i was uh, actually looking you know just quickly on that more i was looking back at some of the old results from raw and there was a run in late 95 where week on week you had four or five matches on raw on a two-hour raw and that was it yeah five matches tops and yeah some of those were three minutes five minutes three minutes yeah, it wasn't about what was going on in the ring. No, absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, so so there was a, a lot of stuff which, um, you know, we would have forgotten about and for good reason as well. Um, but in and amongst that, there was just some unbelievably good stuff um, which um, lives up, um, uh, holds up today just as much as it did back then. And, uh, it's, it's certainly well well worth the watch um and it's also fair to say that um what sparked that whole period of creativity and um originality was the war with wcw because make no mistake wwe's existence was genuinely um at risk um you know they were even considering closing up shop in 97 because they were well behind in the ratings to WCW. They were losing money. They didn't see how they could turn it around. Their big stars had been heading into WCW and making more money there. The remaining few stars were making noises about wanting to go. Bret Hart almost joined WCW in 1996 before being convinced to sign a 20-year contract. Only about 12 or 13 months prior to the Montreal screw job, uh, believe it or not, um, and had he left, had he decided, OK, I will take Bischoff's offer and head over, Vince actually might well have said, OK, right, I'm done. Um, so so that that's how close. Yeah. Um, and I, ironically, they, ironically, Bret Hart didn't actually want to join WCW. It was almost Vince talking him into uh, to going ahead and signing the deal that near enough a year later for the money. Um, in, in 97, do you mean? Yeah, yeah. Getting him, getting him off the, uh, getting him his wage off the books. Yeah, I mean, he, he signed a very um, expensive contract um, when uh, he signed that twenty-year deal, and um, at that time, as to say, uh, the WWE, WWF as it was, was losing money, which um, Vince could only sustain for so long, and that's why. Uh, he was he was really fearful about the future of the company and uh, was generally considering closing it down. But um, it was that Montreal screw job which was 
um, part of what helped turn the corner. And it actually started happening two, three months prior to that when the Stone Cold character started to gain some traction and um, he felt that actually this might have some legs and the uh, then started to put into place plans for the angle with Mike Tyson that took place at the Raw after WrestleMania, which drew a great rating and um, beat in that quarter hour segment the um, whatever was running opposite on, on Raw, on, on Nitro, sorry. And um, it was a couple of months after that, that for the first time in, I think it was 80 or 90 odd weeks, that Raw beat Nitro in the ratings. And by that point in time, the Austin character was on fire. And I remember going to the um, Manchester Evening News Arena um, in April 98, just shortly after WrestleMania, um, Austin against Triple H in the main event, 18,500 sellout crowd. And the reaction to Austin is the loudest crowd reaction I've ever heard in my life at any event, um, whether it's football, wrestling, music, anything, you name it. Never, ever heard noise like it. It was just incredible. Um, and, and that's um, what... Um, yeah, leaving in, in, in Austin and giving him a push and uh, allowing him freedom of expression was able to achieve. And um, in fairness to Austin, he took the uh, ball and ran with it as well. And um, what they ended up producing was incredible. Yeah, that's it, it's it's quite a unique thing. It really is. I mean, we'll bring it forward a little bit. You know, I mean, some more recent moments. Um, I guess one that really kind of jumps out there and, you know, you talk about promos and, you know, we're saying about, you know, there wasn't not always about what was actually happening in the ring on raw. One of the most memorable promos on raw has got to be that, uh, the CM punk pipe bomb. So, uh, so-called uh, where he, uh, you know, in, in court, uh, was uh, shooting on Vince McMahon and and the WWE and and obviously we know that that is pretty much agreed and and I don't know how far you go scripted but certainly agreed what they were going to say but it felt real didn't it and and it and it was at that time I think I felt like the, the WWE was on a bit of a lull and this just really shook everything up didn't it oh it did yeah yeah and um, I mean it needed it because Obviously, by that point in time, um, WWF, sorry, WWE was certainly uh, well into the PG era and um, the uh, Attitude era and um, the kind of. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Remnants of that. Uh, were well and truly gone and pretty much died out by around 2008-9 and um, you know the WWE was struggling to find itself um, with an identity that could resonate with its audience in a PG era and um, you know CM Punk was echoing the kind of frustrations of um, the fans but also of, of the talent as well about um, some things that we've complained about on this podcast numerous times about um, the lack of um, creativity that talent were allowed, um, the lack of expression that they were allowed, and um, the amount to which they were constrained in terms of what they could and couldn't do. And um, you know, that, that kind of harkens back to the point I was just making about Austin a moment ago. And, um, you know, that, that was the making of CM Punk, um, ironically, that uh, expressing frustrations in that way um, really got him over and, and turned him into um, almost like a, a modern-day Austin in a way, this kind of rebel, um, a very different kind of rebel, but a rebel nonetheless. And uh, the reactions to him um, as a result were, were superb and uh not, not so much on, on Raw, but um, some of his pay-per-view appearances in Chicago, um, the reactions he got were Austin-esque, weren't they? Uh, just incredibly yeah. loud. And, yeah. Um, even well, yeah, that was 2011, was wasn't it? Yeah, that that's was 2011. Right, yeah. So it was, it was yeah. the Money in the Bank pay-per-view, wasn't it, where a few weeks later he wins the title and you know, apparently it leaves the, the WWE. But yeah, that was in Chicago. And that was... That that remains one one of the the most incredible atmospheres I've I've seen uh, in in the WWE. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, and uh, that, that was special. Um, but what, what, one of the um, other promos that's unforgettable that was even more recent was the uh, retirement promo of Daniel Bryan a couple of years ago. Um, you know that was something that. Uh, Fans were not. Um, what well, was a certain section of the fan base were expecting there, were, there was talk that he might have to retire, um, but um, you know it was uh, a very very uh, memorable promo because it was so heartfelt, very honest, um, very emotional, and um, 
the reaction that he got um, was very very organic um, because he spoke from the heart. And you know when you have promos that feel real and are spoken from the heart, again they connect to the audience in a way that scripted promos just simply can't. No, and, it uh, had it had echoes of Edge's retirement speech a few years earlier as well, didn't it? That yeah, yeah. You, again, that that similar kind of thing. It was real. It was, I mean, the Edge one. It was that was the night after WrestleMania. You know, it it, it he. He'd been given the news, and it was heartfelt. You could see, you know, he was, you know, there was tears in his eyes. This was real, you know, because this isn't, these aren't like American football players who've been converted or bodybuilders have been converted. These these are lifelong wrestling fans who grew up wanting to do nothing else but become wrestlers. So they were always fans of the product. They were always fans of the business. And here they were living their dream. They're on top and having to retire and and you're right, yeah. Some of the the heartfelt promos, you know, the speech that they give, it's you know, as you know, from all of those adrenaline moments and everything else. The, these are the these are the kind of moments that kind of stick out over the years as well, aren't there? Is as being as being kind of as having a, that special feel to them. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I mean, very very different type of promos, obviously, but some of the the ones from The Rock. Uh, I'm not so much referring to the great promos that he cut week in, week out during the Active Era, but I'm actually referring to the ones where he make his comebacks or returns. Um, sometimes even if it was just for the one night, if they were taping Raw in Miami and he was in between filming movies and he just turned up for that one night and went out there for 15 minutes and ran through his catchphrases. Um, but the way that he would deliver those promos he, I mean, he, in, in terms of promo delivery, he is perhaps the best ever. Um, unbelievable promo delivery. Um, incredibly charismatic and just has the audience in the palm of his hand. And, um, you know, it's... Um, there's a, can I just say more? There's one that kind of sticks out for me on that. When you, when you mentioned them, is when The Rock had, was off doing movies and... Uh, Stone Cold, it was the time when Stone Cold had walked out of Raw. He fell out with the WWE and walked out and he was gone. And they were building it up as the return and it was all about Vince McMahon expecting Stone Cold was coming back. And out came The Rock at the end. And he gave a really impassioned speech. I guess was was almost, you know, the big F you to to uh, to Austin from from the from the office, but it was about I guess he was getting the message across to the fans that it's not just about Steve Austin. There are so many more people in the back, in that locker room, who just want to do whatever they can to entertain the fans. And it was it was just, I, there was something about the way he delivered that promo. Again, it's just evidence, as what you say, you know, the guy's probably the best ever in terms of delivering a promo. Yeah, yeah. Oh, totally, yeah. Um, his delivery is just uh, unique. Um, you know, there have been some amazing promos in, in the wrestling business throughout its history. Rick Flair, Dusty Rose, Jim Cornette. Um, you can go on and on. You can list them. So many great promos. But so for me, the, the Rock is at the top of the list. Uh, just unbelievable. Um, but, I mean, we, we can't... Um, 
talk promos without mentioning Paul Heyman as well. Um, you know, on and off, he's been a character personality on Raw commentator as well. Um, going back um, to 2001 when ECW um, closed, and even um, on occasions prior to 2001 when ECW invaded Raw. Um, I don't know if you remember that. Um, oh, there yeah. were occasionally um, appearances by them, and uh, Paul Heyman was part of those as well. Um, but in more recent times, as an advocate for um, individuals, most notably Brock Lesnar, some of the promos that he's cut have, were just fantastic, brilliant. Some of the best work on the mic that he's ever done. And, um, you know, he, he's been a great talker throughout his career, going back to his um, days, um, you know, in WCW and uh, even before that. Um, but, um, you know, the delivery again from Heyman is always flawless, always impeccable. And um, certainly of recent times, um, the most consistent promo um, in the, in the company and uh, always a absorbing watch. Yeah. Just too many to list. <laughs> it would be difficult to pick him out because he's so consistent. I, I think to, to his promos involved in building up the, the Lesnar versus um, Samoa Joe match, uh, it was it was just textbook. That's how you sell. That's how you sell a match. Uh, he he yeah. was just just tremendous, absolutely tremendous. Uh, another recent one is last year. This was a, a great a great uh, raw moment. I remember we spoke about it at the time and. A phenomenal i loved it i thought it was beautifully done brilliantly played out and and that was the festival of friendship um yeah. i just it, i just kind of it, it still makes me smile the way it was all done and you kind of again you knew what was coming you didn't you it was almost classic attitude era style in in that you you had you pretty much knew what was going to be coming but you still enjoyed it because it was great fun getting there and it was worth it when you got there. This was just absolutely fantastic stuff from uh, Chris Jericho and Kevin Owens. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, Again, Jericho, when it comes to storyline, as good as you, you will find um, and um, just uh, an amazing talent. And obviously, uh, we talked about him in a different way, um, in describing just how good he is last week um, when it came to his recent appearance for New Japan. Uh, and in fact, um, speaking of Jericho, he he will be uh, appearing on the 25th anniversary show next week, which we'll, we will talk about later on. Uh, but yeah, that that whole angle was um, so clever in terms of um, how it was put together and assembled, and uh, must have been a really fun thing to put together um and even more fun to deliver and um when it comes to that type of stuff um jericho and owen um kevin owens rather uh, are as good as they get um in the modern wwe and uh their whole delivery was absolutely impeccable and uh really really a joy to watch one of the highlights of raw um in 2017 
set up one of the better feuds of that year. Uh, I'm going to throw a couple more at you. Um, what about, do you remember DX invading WCW? How can I forget? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I know, obviously, because Triple H is uh, so heavily involved, you know, we do get that one rammed down our throats a bit. But see, I remember that, watching that at the time, you know, and they kept going back and forth to it. I really enjoyed that at the time. I think that incarnation of DX at that time was, it was hot. They were fresh. They were funny. They were on the edge. You know, some of the comedy and, and the feud that they were having with the Nation of Domination. But that was, you know, I think it was because they actually talked about WCW and people who were at WCW. And it was like, you just didn't really sort of hear that on, on WWE television at the time. Well, no, you didn't. I mean, up until not long before that, um, it, it was extremely rare for them to even acknowledge the existence of wrestling companies um, outside of the, their own promotion. Um, obviously, you occasionally hear about um, Smoky Mountain Wrestling or, or Japan Women where their talents would make appearances in, on, on WWF television, but that, that was few and far between. Uh, for them to acknowledge the competition, WCW, which they first started to do with the billionaire Ted skits on Raw, I don't know if you remember those, um, with um, yeah, Nacho Man. The Nacho and, uh, Man and the Huckster. Slim Jims and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and obviously they took it much, much further with the DX stuff and the invasion of WCW, which, which um, I mean, I, I always profess that I, I was a WCW guy, so I didn't enjoy it as much as those um, that were more pro WWF. Uh, but um, you know that that certainly was very very instrumental in turning around the Monday Night War in the favour of the WWF because it was making the WWF come across like the cool, younger, more vibrant, more rebellious product, um, and WCW like the older, more stuffy, more um, outdated um, product and. Um, that worked wonders because you know WCW's ratings started to slightly dip. They were still very strong throughout '98, but the raw numbers started to pick up and pick up and pick up. And once you came into '99, the raw numbers ratings-wise were just through the roof, incredibly high. And yeah. um, never looked back. It was all off the back of DX and The Rock and Austin. Yeah, I'm going to throw a couple of debuts at you then. The Radicals, do you remember them debuting that night in, I think it was 2000? Yes, yes. Um, Sat on ringside. was broken. So you rub it in more. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that, they were the great white hopes of WCW in terms of um, younger talent who were being held down. And I felt, look, you know, we've got all these older guys like Roddy Piper and Hogan and all these former WWF main eventers from the 80s and look their time's up now let's give the younger guys a chance WCW needs to react to the uh, monster that is the WWF with their rock and stone cold and all these big mega over characters so let's try and go in a different direction with these fantastic workers but no no WCW Eric Bischoff didn't want to do that and um, these guys left en masse 
and um, they, um, yeah, I mean, in fact, at that time, I was, I was friends with, um, I don't know if you remember a guy called Vampiro. He was a wrestler in the yeah. WCW, and he, he was, his agent was a friend of mine, and uh, he phoned me up about um, them all leaving en masse and that they were going to be appearing on Raw. And I thought, oh, for God's sake, really? <laughs> we got, and when we they got turned some up, great matches. Um, that that was that was a killer blow as far as I was concerned. Um, that was the beginning of the end for me, and uh, that was great, great um, business for the WWF though, because um, they came in and lit up 2004 the WWF because you know especially Benoit. Um, you know, he was he was the most talented of of that crew in terms of in-ring work, followed closely by Eddie Guerrero. And um, you know, these guys were just having great matches week in week out with an assortment of talent who were already on the WWF roster. Um, and consistent in terms of cons- the TV show, I would argue that 2000 was the best ever year for the WWF um, because it was good from a storyline perspective also very very good from an in-ring perspective because of the influx of these talents and uh, the people that were there looking to step up their game and to try and um, keep up with the likes of your Jerick uh, with your with your um, with your uh, Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko and uh, Chris Benoit and obviously one of their other good friends Chris Jericho um, had only debuted a few months earlier um, yeah well that's what I was good that was going to be my other one, yeah. the, the debut. I mean, <clears throat> like you said, I mean, Eddie Guerrero described those four, you know, the radicals. He described them as the backbone of WCW, you know, before they left. So, and and I think there's absolute argument to that. But yeah, the the debut of Chris Jericho in '99 was built up for weeks and weeks. Uh, and and I think it's still one that's celebrated now as as arguably the best ever debut because it was just it was so perfectly done and a star was born that night and and i get you know again it was the common theme guys that wcw had overlooked you know talent that they'd overlooked like you said in favor of guys from the 80s who were all in the mid 40s or older he was a young guy he was vibrant he was fresh he was talented he was athletic he was good in the ring he could talk he had charisma they overlooked him. He came in, bang, phenomenal. Oh yeah, totally. Um, one of the unforgettable uh, moments in Raw history. Um, and it was so frustrating again for me as a WCW fan because I was a massive Jericho Mark when he was in WCW, and even before he arrived in WCW. But um, certainly during his WCW run, he was probably my favourite talent in the company. In fact, because um, he was so entertaining as uh, this um, very um, quirky character in the cruiserweight division, um, and um, he actually had a—I think what did he call himself? The man of a thousand and four holes. Is it, um, yeah, because it was mocking. was it Dean Malenko, the man of a thousand right. holes. And then he had he had, he had the list. list. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. So we had a very cold <laughs> list all the way back in '97 or whatever or '80. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and then we had Ralphus, and there was just so much good stuff that he was doing off his own back without any help. And 
I thought, you know, here's a guy who, with the right kind of push, could really become something in WCW. But again, he was classed as what Hogan termed and coined as a vanilla midget, uh, quite a condescending term, uh, which, which he was using to describe all these smaller cruiserweight talents that he thought were completely beneath him and didn't belong in the same ring as him. And, you know, he, he didn't care that they were good at working matches because he felt that that was something that was not important. Um, so they were to be left in mid-card oblivion. Yeah. And um, Jericho thought, right, I've had enough of this, I'm off. And uh, in one night, he became a bigger star than pretty much anyone in WCW at that point because <laughs> WCW was fading fast. And um, Jericho became this overnight megastar. Yeah. And, uh, so there you go. WWE, so yeah, lesson learned. Yeah. So there you go, brother. all right just to to kind of wrap up all of these then if you if you had to nail it down to one what what would be your your best ever raw moment then more well there there are so many unforgettable moments but um the one i'm going to go for is um the retirement ceremony for rick flair um, that was in 2008, was it? So it's coming up to uh, 10 years now. Yeah. My goodness. Um, I mean, that, that was a, a great episode of Raw. Um, it was the night after WrestleMania. Um, and the show was all built around the fact that Ric Flair had been retired the night before in that unforgettable match with Shawn Michaels. And, um, you know, we saw clips and we saw people paying tribute to him. And then there was the whole ceremony in the ring and um, with the music, you know, leave them, what was it called? Leave the memories alone or let the memories remain. Or oh, whatever. Christ, I can't remember. But I remember him bawling his eyes out. But then again, yeah, balls yeah. his eyes out at, at the drop of a hat. He does, yeah. And he wasn't <laughs> the only one. I, I, I always asked it as well. Oh, my uh, word. <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh, as, as, again, it's a WCW mark. W, yeah, so I, I guess. WCW I'll, got I'll, I'll let you have that one. Yeah, so, you know, it, it really meant something to me. And, uh, yeah. you know, it it was it was a special night. Yeah, it, it was. Uh, now, myself, I have to go for something you, you mentioned in passing earlier, and that was the whole Tyson... Austin segment for me that you know we all know that wrestling is predetermined we know it's a show you know everything and you you try to suspend disbelief as and where you can that was one of those very very rare occasions where you could convince someone it was real it that was a moment that had something about it that really felt real and I say kudos to Tyson for the way he took, he bought into it all, uh, and the the way the whole thing was done. I, that, you know, that that was 1998, uh, and I believe it was the night after the Royal Rumble in 1998. It was, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we we we're talking 20 years ago, mm. and you can watch that now. And it still gives you chills. It still has a buzz about it. It still feels incredibly fresh and and vibrant and real and and just I thought for me an in, absolutely incredible moment and and also propelled 
Steve Austin beyond just being a guy or a wrestler at the top of a card at a wrestling promotion into this huge star. And, and, and for me, that was the start of, of Steve Austin going beyond wrestling and being this enormous star that he became in the media because, you know, WWF become really big news throughout magazines, you know, TV shows, everything. And, and Steve Austin was, you know, he was everywhere. And that, that was just something else. It, for me, absolutely something else. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was, um, it was the angle that turned the fortunes of the WWF around. Um, and, and without that, who knows if Austin would have become quite as big a star as he, he ended up becoming in that year and beyond. Um, and it was, a, it was a massive coup for the WWF to secure Tyson. At that time, he was, I would argue, the, well, certainly the most famous and still at that time, the biggest active sports star in the world. Um, you know, you can look at football, American sports with Michael Jordan, for example, but Tyson was still, even though arguably at that time, not quite in his prime, but still a massive, massive personality on a global basis. And after that angle ran, um, it, as you say, drew massive publicity um, coverage from the mainstream press who never covered wrestling um, because it was something that was uh, monumental. And um, Mm. it drew massive publicity, uh, which then fed into the build-up to WrestleMania and obviously with Tyson as a referee for that match between um, Shawn Michaels and Stone Cold. um, That just worked perfectly. And um, the interest in that WrestleMania was the biggest that there had been for a WrestleMania in in number in a number of years, um, and um, you know that was all thanks to Vince um, getting in touch with Tyson to work this. And you know Tyson obviously grew up as a massive wrestling fan, WWF yeah. fan in the seventies. Yeah, he had a ball doing it all. No, oh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. no two ways about it. He, he made he money, but he had a ball. He did a great deal. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but no, that that was that was tremendous, and uh, that drew eyeballs to Raw. Um, and at the same time, uh, WWF was going a very uh, risque uh, um, direction, and um, you know it, it just worked perfectly well. The whole thing. Yeah. Um, so. In, in in certain respects, you, you you can argue that that was the most important moment in the history of uh, Monday Night Raw. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So finally, then, what about this this 25th anniversary show? Then more. I mean, you've mentioned that we we've heard Chris Jericho's uh, due to be there, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. They've mentioned a number of other names. Uh, in there as well. Uh, I mean, what are you expecting from the show? Um, pretty much, much like this pod, a lot of nostalgia. Um, you know, except we'll stretch over three and a half hours. Yeah, I mean, obviously they've got to build up um, the rumble as well, um, which is uh, less than two weeks away. But um, 
at the same time, because of the amount of um, old faces that are being lined up for the show, and those, you know, already we've had a lot announced for the show, uh, and I'm sure there'll be two or three surprises thrown in as well. Um, you'd expect, yeah, yeah, quite possibly. I mean, they, they, if he's there, I think they'll keep it quiet. But I'll be surprised if they haven't got, you know, a couple of surprises because they like to give us surprises, don't they? And, um, you know, they'll try and mix things up between um, the younger talent and the older lot. And um, I would suspect that um, it will be the younger lot that are there week in, week out, having to um, take bumps for the people (laughs) that are turning up for one week. Uh, But that's WWE for you. Um, So, yeah, I mean, you'll probably have... um, the mistourage, you know, all being stone cold stunned or something like that. Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm happy with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, as long as it's people that nobody really cares about that, that's fine. If if it's, um, you know, if it was, um, you know, I don't know, um, the the bar or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, then, uh, you know, you can expect a big rant next week, but, uh, no, I, I, I think they'll book it in a sensible way whereby, they let the um, stars of the past turn up and um, have their moment um, without taking the shine off um, the main players on today's roster. Um, so I, I think it'll be a really fun show, um, a good mix of nostalgia, along with um, some decent build-up for the Rumble. And, um, yeah, I, I think it'll be very surprising if it isn't a fun show that way yeah uh, yeah i'm expecting pretty much the same yeah obviously lots of names there's been lots lots already announced probably be a few surprises like you say yeah lots of nostalgia couple of obviously we, I, i'd imagine we're, we're quite possibly seeing a, an intercontinental title switch in there and a few other bits in between and uh, just overall yeah like you said a fun night and it's to be looked forward to, you know, why the hell not just sit back, relax and enjoy. So just briefly then one f- a quick final uh, thing before we have to disappear and, and we get in the trouble with gags for the length of this podcast. But um, four new signings announced by WWE heading straight over to NXT. Yes, that's right. So um, we've got um, more talent coming in from the independent scene. And uh, we've got um, Jinku Singh, who's um, somebody who's got a baseball background, um, who I think has impressed the WWE in terms of athleticism. And obviously, uh, as we saw with uh, Jinder Mahal, um, you know, they're quite keen to uh, build up their fan base and following and monetize the massive Indian market. And um, unlike Jinder, um, Jinku is... Um, born and bred in India, so um, I think they're hoping that that, that can uh, certainly help to uh, make a few more inroads in that market. Um, but more notably, from the independent scene, um, the uh, better half of uh, Johnny Gargano is uh, finally signed to the WWE Performance Center, um, and that's Candice LeRae, and uh, she's a very talented um, worker and um, somebody who I've seen a fair bit of over the last several years and uh, you know, certainly very, very capable and all-rounded, charismatic as well. Um, appeared on the May Young Classic last year. I think she only worked 
one, maybe two matches in that tournament. Um, and um, certainly, certainly a fine talent. Um, but the ones that have got very everyone very excited uh, are War Machine, who are a tag team that have most recently worked in Ring of Honor in New Japan Pro Wrestling. And um, they were at you know, Wrestle there. Kingdom, as we spoke of last week as well. That's right, yeah. They they put in their last appearance, or I think penultimate appearance um, for New Japan on that show. And, um, you know, it was it was rumoured for months and expected for months that they would be signing for the WWE. And um, they're like um, a larger version of the Bludgeon Brothers, but a million times better. Um, <laughs> they're a really, really good tag team. And... Um, you know, you, you won't fail to be impressed by them. Um, you know, trust me that they're, they're very, very good um, as a pairing. And then, um, last but not least, is Ricochet. Um, perhaps the top four or five most naturally gifted wrestlers in the entire business in 2018 um, has been an incredibly f- uh, consistent performer um, over the last four or five years, wrestled all around the world extensively here in the UK, all around the US independent scene, uh, worked for a number of years for New Japan Pro Wrestling as well. Um, just supremely talented. If the WWE allows him to um, work in the way that he's allowed to work um, in the independence, New Japan, uh, fans win for a treat because he's a supreme talent. Trust me, he is so, so good. Um, incredibly athletic, uh, an amazing high flyer, as graceful through the air as anybody I've ever seen in the wrestling business. And um, some of his moves are just, to, you have to see him to believe him. And uh, you know, if, if you want to check him out, I'm sure there's plenty of YouTube compilation clips. Um, but he he's coming to um, NXT imminently, and um, he he'll be a massive addition to that roster because um, he's quite the talent. So there you go, guys. Uh, plenty to look forward to, uh, and next week something to look forward to as well because uh, as we've mentioned. It is, of course, the Rumble coming up. So next week, we will be previewing the Royal Rumble, uh, the the entire event, and the NXT TakeOver as well. So don't forget to tune back in next week. But that's it for this uh, nostalgia show. It's been a lot of fun to go back over it. I know it's been a long one. Apologies, Gags. Um, But, hey, so much to cram in. 25 years is a lot to talk about. So, uh uh, anything that comes out of that 25-year show, I'm sure we'll talk about that next week as well. So my thanks to uh, to Mo, as always. Our thanks to all of you for listening and downloading the show. Don't forget you can keep in touch with us on Twitter at PW underscore index. But until next week, from me, Andy Wales, here at the Pro Wrestling Index, it's bye-bye now.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.